Decidedly Dry. I'm your host, Jess Steitzer. This is a sober podcast where we actually focus on the good. Amazing, right? We spark inspiration. We try to provide some hope and we help motivate you. I promise to always keep it real, provide some dry humor, and remind you every single episode why sobriety is truly a superpower. If you'd like to learn more about the show or make a donation, just head on over to decidedlydry.com. Thank you so much for pushing play today. Let's get started. Today's guest is my new amazing friend, Ms. Wendy Wolf. Wendy is a sober mom living in Wilmington, Delaware. I had so much fun chatting with Wendy. She is not only hilarious, but is yet another perfect example of someone doing good things in sobriety. This woman is driven. She's a creator, an achiever, and someone that I seriously wish that I could sit down and chat with for hours. Here's Wendy. All right. Well, hello, everybody. This is Jess at Decidedly Dry. And today I have an awesome guest, Wendy. Wendy, thank you so much for being here. Oh my gosh, Jess. Thank you so much for having me. I'm so honored and I'm so, I can't wait to be a part of this wonderful thing you've started. Oh, I'm honored and I'm so excited to get to know you. So we're just going to jump right in. I'm going to go to my first question and just kind of hand the mic over. So tell me a little bit about yourself. Tell the listeners who you are, if you have kids, where you live, you know, the basics. Hi, my name's Wendy. Um, I live in Delaware and I've been sober since November 10th of 2019. So I have a, a couple years under my belt now. And I am a dental hygienist. I've been a dental hygienist for... I don't want to admit this because then you'll know how old I am, but for 32 years. So right now I, I do that part-time. Um, I think, you know, that full-time I've, I did it for a really, really long time. So now I'm down to part-time because I'm pursuing so many other things that have interest me since I've put the drink down. I love it. How exciting. I want to hear more about that when we get to that point. And your sober date is close to mine. Mine is December 7th of 2019. You know what? I think I did see that somewhere. Yeah. Yeah. That's awesome. Right. We're like sober twins. almost. (laughs) Well, I love that. I'm so glad you're here. And I want to know, let's just jump right in your history with alcohol. So, I mean, that's part of the reason we're on this podcast, right? Um, So when did you start and kind of when did your relationship start to shift with alcohol? Okay. So I was pretty much a teenage party girl. As soon as, you know, the party started, I was there. I was, as soon as I would put that drink in me, the party lit up, I was in my element and I just loved it. Um, I'm very social. I'm very outgoing. I've always been a total people person, love social events. And so that, you know, went into college and after, and I did not meet my husband, my first husband until I was in my early thirties. I really, my twenties were the most amazing decade of my life. I traveled a lot. I lived all over the place. I got my career going. And as a, a dental hygienist, I could pretty much move wherever I wanted and get a job. 
So I've actually lived in 10 states and some of them more than once. Yeah. So I have definitely, yeah, I've been a hygienist licensed in four states. So, um, but anyways, I ended up, um, I ended up in Delaware in 2002. So I'm coming up on 20 years, which would be the longest I've ever lived anywhere, which is an eternity to me. And if you would have (laughs) said, if you would have told me I was going to end up in Delaware, I'd have been like, you're insane. But anyways, my first husband's job brought us here and my daughter was about two and a half and everything was, you know, just cruising on cruise control, basically going on cruise control. Um, definitely this was, I'm probably a generation or half a generation, generation ahead of you. So I experienced mommy wine culture when it was first taking Mm. off and it has it you know there it wasn't coined or termed mommy wine culture there was no mommy wine culture so Mm -hmm. to speak it was just here we are the end of the day um my first husband worked a ton like he was never home that was one reason why we ended up getting divorced um because I felt like I was a a single married mom and I was doing it on my own anyway. So I bonded with the mothers that were also working, doing pretty much doing everything, like holding the family together. And sure, I, I had an only daughter, you know, I have an only child. So I bond with other parents that have only kids. Mm-hmm. So the kids play together and the moms drink wine, like typical standard thing you do. Um so anyways, after my marriage broke up, um then I really like hit my, I wouldn't say it was a midlife crisis, but I definitely was like, you know, on my own and single right, and I'm right. in my early forties, you know? So it was like, okay, I ended up joining a gym and meeting all these other single people in my boat. Um, so I started going out a lot when I didn't have my daughter and definitely I was not drinking problematically then, but when I look back on it now, there was the telltale signs were all there. Like I was going down that path. Um, so anyways, so then I met my current husband now and, you know, we had a lot of fun. Like we had a lot of fun drinking. We had a lot of fun going to concerts. We had a, we just had a lot of fun together. Mm -hmm. And then it all kind of shifted because my daughter graduated high school and she decided to go away to college, which was great. I want her to be an independent, you know, Mm -hmm. raise her as an independent woman like myself. I love to travel and live places. So pretty much at the same time, she left for college. And then my husband's job got transferred to New York Mm. City. So we don't live in New York. So he commutes to New York from Delaware. Basically, he would leave on Sunday nights and I wouldn't see him again until Thursday and my daughter's gone. So now I'm, all, I'm by myself, right? My, mm-hmm. all my friends are doing their own thing. We've all kind of grown up a little bit and, um, and yeah, so I was alone mm-hmm. and a lot of time on my hands and a lot of unaccounted time for, because mm-hmm. nobody really knew where I was, what I was doing, what right. I was doing. So I was basically working, going to the gym afterwards, you know, getting that workout in. And then I deserve to drink, you yeah. know, like I deserve this. Of course. So of course, what 
turn what was, you know, a couple of glasses of wine turned into, I would leave the gym, go straight across the street to the liquor store and buy a bottle, go mm-hmm. home. Couldn't keep alcohol in the house because at that point I would just consume it. Right. So that's where I went over that, that, that light switch was flipped, you know, and things unraveled, um, not quickly. Like when I look back on it, I feel like I wish it would have unraveled quickly, but everything happens at its own pace and it's in in its own time. Mm -hmm. And that's why I'm here where I am now. Like, that's why my path has gotten me to this point. And I believe that thoroughly so that I was meant to be here now. So, um, yeah, there was no, you know, there was some, definitely some not pretty things that happened, but no, I never spent any time in jail. I never had a DUI. Mm -hmm. Um, I was going down that route, but I hadn't gotten there yet. And that's why I just want to say, I admire all of these younger women like you that are here getting, getting off that highway before Mm -hmm. the car crashes. Mm -hmm. Like you don't have to have that rock bottom. There does not have to be a rock bottom. Mm-mm. And I, I, I just feel like, I just wish I could, I don't know. I wish I could just turn that light bulb on for everybody. I just, I just want to help everybody realize that, but right. I, I know that I can't, you know? So, um, anyway, so in 2019, um, it was the beginning of November. I ended up getting on a plane and going to an inpatient treatment in Texas. I'd never been to Texas before. I had never, I, I didn't know what was going to happen. I really <laughs> honestly didn't, didn't know what was going on. Um, but I got there and uh, I was, I was ready. I was ready. I knew, you know, that, that I had an opportunity that a lot of people don't have to just check out of their lives right? and and to work on themselves. I mean, a lot of people look at inpatient treatment as, you know, that is the rock bottom, like, you know, that you were there and it was horrible and awful. And it's like, it, for me, my experience was anything but that Mm. it was, it was a glory. I could have, I would have stayed there longer if I could have, I really, yeah. and I have lifelong friends that I met there and the things that learned, like I actually, I had done a couple, um, outpatient programs, tried them anyway, gone to meetings, but I wasn't ready. Mm-hmm. I wasn't ready. I didn't listen. I sat there and thought this isn't me. I shouldn't be here. And then once I got to, um, once I got to inpatient treatment, I don't know. It was just like, I knew, I mm-hmm. knew that that was where I was meant to be. And my mind just opened up to all these things that people were teaching me. And I just soaked it in, just soaked it in. Wow. And so you had tried a couple different things before you did the inpatient. Am I right? So you tried a couple outpatient type things. Yep. I tried a couple outpatient things. I went to, um, AA meetings. Um, that's about it. Mm-hmm. You know, that was about it. Cause that's all I, I knew about really. Yeah. So, yeah. you know what I mean? That's, yeah. I mean, where else was I supposed to turn now? There's all these resources yeah. that are amazing and fabulous. Like I'm so glad also, I think this is my time to shine in sobriety world because there's all this, these resources and 
who better to tell their own stories because I can relate to everybody's stories. I always get something out of people's stories. Absolutely. And knowing that you're not alone. Mm-hmm. That's like the biggest thing. Yeah. And right? it's so beautiful. Cause I mean, obviously I haven't been doing the show for a long time, but the constant just repetition of those words too. I mean, everybody that comes on here has used a different program or some sort of different tool reminding us that there's no one way for everybody and that you're not alone because there's a reason that there is no lack of people wanting to share their story because we all have gone through such similar things. And it's really a relief when we come on here and get to share it because then the listeners are like, oh, wait, I I, I thought that was only me. (laughs) So there's such strength in numbers. Mm -hmm. Once you like get the door open and you realize once you dip your toe in the water of recovery and um, this world, it's just crazy how supportive everybody is and how empowering everybody is. And it's like, I, I just want to share everything that I've learned. Like when I was in, in patient, we learned about, you know, AA, we learned about refuge recovery. I learned about smart recovery. Mm -hmm. I took pieces of all that. So when I got back, obviously being in Delaware, even though we're on the East coast, it's a pretty tight, small kind of area. So there was just AA, you know? Mm -hmm. So when I came back, I just dove into it, did the 90 and 90. I think I did 111 and 111 or whatever it was. But, and I literally used um, an amazing app called the Meeting Guide app where I would just look up random, like my husband's like, what meeting are you going to? (laughs) And I was like, well, I think I'm going to go to this one. Right. And it was so funny because I kind of like made a sport out of it. Like I was like, like I'm going to go until I find my people that I, I mean, they're all my people. Like you walk in any room of AA, you know, as long as you walk through the room and get your butt in the chair, your brain's going to follow, you're going to connect with people. Mm -hmm. And, um, and, but just finding the right core groups that I really connected with. And that really, uh, I am, I love the steps of AA. AA definitely kept me sober at first. Like AA was my thing. And then when COVID hit, I was kind of like a lost dog for a couple of days. I was was fresh into my recovery. Like you, like you were, you were, you know, like what, what the heck, what, what's going on now? Right. Yeah. I mean, in a lot of ways, I mean, COVID, yes, it's just an awful, terrible thing that's happened, but it's, it was a blessing for me. There was no social events to turn down. There Mm -hmm. was no bars to sneak off to. There was no this, no that. I was safe. I was safe in in my bubble. And I found an amazing meeting that a Zoom meeting that um, was every morning, seven days a week from eight to nine. And I was there every morning, every morning, because I couldn't work because I'm in healthcare, even though, you know, I'm a dental hygienist, we were shut down. So Um, you know, it was definitely a blessing in disguise for me as far as keeping my sobriety. Mm -hmm. Um, that was, that was like, that was such a, um, an unexpected blessing that I, I don't know. It was just an amazing thing. 
Well, and I love that you brought up when we started our sobriety because we were pretty fresh. I mean, I had been trying different things leading up to that. It wasn't like December hit and I was like, I'm going to stop drinking today. Like it was years of, Mm -hmm. okay, something's going on. Like something doesn't feel right. Should I do this? Wow. I made it a week. And then it's, you know, back and forth, back and forth. It's not like for me, um, I couldn't do it just cold turkey. But I found that with the pandemic, you know, it was almost like kind of what we had been training for. Like we were already in the mindset of learning new ways to cope with stress, Mm -hmm. with anxiety, with things that are going on around us. Um, We were learning to be with ourselves. A lot of people hadn't done that. And so I like how you pointed out it tested you in a different way in that you were forced to find a new tool for your toolbox. I mean, you could no longer physically go to a meeting, right? Right. So I think that that is beautiful that you were able to not give up on yourself, but kind of be like, all right, I got to figure something out because that has been an effective way for me to stay sober. So exactly. Props to you, man. And then that like, that went into other realms like then I started you know because I walked all the time because to get fresh air and to get exercise with my dog and I really I started listening to Quitlet and then I got on to podcasts and then I started learning about all these other resources so I took all these separate components and pieces Mm -hmm. of each kind of recovery program or anything I got my hands on and I I took what what resonated with me and what I could use to benefit my recovery program. And that's how I work. Like Mm. that's how I work. So I, I go to two meetings a week in person. I have a wonderful friends in AA and like, I have a whole new group of friends. Right. Mm -hmm. So before you're like, Oh my gosh, how am I ever going (laughs) to do anything again without a drink in my hand? My life is freaking over. (laughs) And now it's like, I don't know, like I, now I'm like, I don't even imagine how I would do anything like that. again. like, why wouldn't I want to (laughs) be present and soak in every one of these amazing experiences I'm having now? And like, the trees even look different and music sounds different. Everything is like amplified because I'm not, you know, pouring booze on it and drowning it out, which is really what I was doing. The other thing I wanted to talk about is, um, I really want to talk about like a root cause. So when my world kind of fell apart and my husband started working in, in New York and my daughter left for college, I hit, and I'm drinking, right? And I don't really know. I'm not, I'm not a doctor. I'm not a psychiatrist, but I don't know which came first was the alcohol or the depression or the depression and then the alcohol Mm. thrown on it. But that was literally my root cause. And I really feel like people, um, I really feel like, you know, I, in inpatient treatment, I, I was around people that suffered real trauma, like extreme trauma, crazy trauma, panic attacks that I witnessed, anxiety attacks. Like I've had those, but not on these levels, Mm. but I've also learned that trauma can be, you know, you don't have to have some 
earth shattering thing happen. Like I never lived anywhere longer than five years growing up. My parents right. thought nothing of picking my butt up and moving us to another state. And I'd have to start over with friends and school. And, you know, I learned how to cope and do those situations because then I just, you know, leaned on my humor, made people laugh. And then right. that's how I made friends really. But that was trauma. When, mm-hmm. when I look back on it now, that was trauma. My parents didn't know any better. They, my dad was just moving up his career. You know, right. that's what he did. But um, my root cause really was um, I hit a depression, like, and people, people never thought that I, cause I'm just so happy and blah, blah, blah. and bubbly. Like I couldn't be depressed. You know, mm-hmm. Wendy couldn't have depression. Oh yeah. <laughs> yeah. You really, really, I couldn't get out of bed some days, you know? Yeah. So I was really suffering with depression and it wasn't until I got too impatient where a psychiatrist and a doctor, they all diagnosed me together. And, and, you know, I take an antidepressant and, mm-hmm. you know, use, I've used therapy. I use AA meetings as my group therapy. Yeah. You know, yeah. I really do. So I really feel like if, if you're, if you're thinking about why are your patterns of drinking have changed, like try to like, there might not be a real root cause, but I really think that, you know, alcohol is, but the symptom of mm-hmm. the thing that's really underlying and that's going on with you. And yeah. once I could address that, um, you know, once I addressed that, a lot of the obsession got lifted and a lot of the just other issues that I had were kind of resolved themselves mm-hmm. because I wasn't putting gasoline Right. The alcohol on the freaking problem anymore. I'm so glad you brought that up because I mean, we kind of joke that like when you remove alcohol and I know every, a lot of people have heard this before that that's just kind of the first step, you know, it's like an onion peeling. Cause then once you remove it, it's like, Oh, now I have to deal with all this other stuff that I've just been kind of pushing away or quieting down with alcohol. And You know, I like that you pointed out that because I think in sobriety, too, there's an opportunity to notice what you were covering up with alcohol, because when you have those triggers, it's like, wait, why am I feeling like I need a drink right now? Oh, it's because I'm really tired and I'm sad about blah, 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 you know, which could have been the causes of us drinking before, you know, so I love that you brought that up. Yeah. I love it. And you know what? Um. I just, I want to touch a little bit on the whole, um, middle-aged women and alcoholism as an epidemic and a science. And, you know, uh, let's, let's face it. Alcohol is a drug. Okay. Mm-hmm. And it's an addictive, toxic, carcinogenic drug. Mm-hmm. Anybody who puts a drug in their body over, I don't care how much, like long period of time, like some people it's, shorter than others, how many, how much they drink, whatever. There's so many other things that components that go into addiction, but I don't care. You do that to your body long enough. You're going to become addicted. Absolutely. There's like, you know, like I don't even get it. (laughs) And then the whole, like being alcoholic is the only drug that you have to explain to people. Why Mm -hmm. is it? I mean, give me a break. It's so and frustrating. It's so frustrating. And, um, the, one of the things that I, I know you're 
your podcast is based on like all the good things that have happened and that you've done since you put down the drink. My, so much has gone on with me in the last, you know, two years and two, three months, whatever, that I just want to like share my development or my involvement since I put down the drink. And the first thing is after I removed the toxic drug from my body and, and my body started feeling better physically and my brain started clearing up, I thought, you know, I'm going to really take this to the next level. And I started researching, um, plus during my drinking and I got literally run over by the menopause train. Um, I gained 30 pounds in a year. Okay. It was, it was not pretty. It was really not pretty. And it just wasn't me. I've always been physically active and I even taught bar classes at my gym. And, you know, I, I have been always active and played sports growing up, but um, was this during your sobriety? Is that what you said? This part about this train appeared. Well, yeah, no, when my drinking, like, so when everything started to hit the skids, I was, I was still holding it together and teaching classes and then going up the street and buying the liquor, you know, and going home because I deserved it. But no, like in the last year, as my drinking really got out of hand and, um, I was, uh, yeah, I was gaining weight and I couldn't stop. It was just like this vicious, vicious cycle. I had no energy. My depression was bad. It just all snowballed. But as my brain started clearing, like two months after um, I stopped drinking, I went plant-based. So I started a plant-based diet and immediately, I mean, I was feeling better already from the toxic alcohol, not being Mm -hmm. in me again, like immediately I started giving my body good food and good fuel. And then I started like having an awesome reaction to that. And I was like bouncing off the walls with energy. And I was doing, um, different, I delved into some different fitness workouts, different things, just to change it up. I didn't want to go back to my previous gym because one thing I really learned in, in inpatient, um, treatment was, you know, you have to change people, places and things. Mm. And a lot of people are not, um, they don't have the luxury of that where I did. Okay. So like, I'm so grateful and thankful that I did have the luxury of being able to, to do that. So mm-hmm. I started going to a new gym, you know, and I started making new friends and it's not that I don't have any of my old friends, but some of my relationships have died, you mm-hmm. know, some of them have, and that's a part, I feel like that it's sad, but I feel like it's a part of life. Mm-hmm. And, and also I've had to set boundaries, yeah. you know, I've had to be, it's not selfish, it's self-care and yeah. there's difference. And I've really had to protect my, my sobriety, you know? And I think what you're touching on is growth too. I mean, you hit, you hit a point where you started growing, you know, I was so stagnant. Like I lost my identity as a mother. When my daughter left for college, I didn't know what my identity was. I didn't know what it was. Mm -hmm. And it couldn't be party girl anymore for God's sake. Right. You know, it couldn't be that anymore. So what my only identity was that being a dental hygienist like Mm -hmm. what you know I needed to find me I needed to really do some soul searching and um but anyway so I I went plant-based and then um 
And then like a couple months after that, I, <laughs> this is just so funny to me. I was laughing about this earlier. It's like, I used to, I remember when patients used to tell me like, oh yeah, I went back to school and blah, blah, blah. And I'm in my head thinking now who in the world would want to go back to college? <laughs> like you're an adult, like haven't you already done that? Why would you want to done do your that? time, man? <laughs> right? Like and this is how narrow-minded I was. And so like, I can't even believe the way I used to be and the way I used to think. Cause I used to think they were dumb. Yeah. I was like, they, they were dumb. They're yeah. going back to college. So <laughs> after like, after like six months of not drinking, I remember saying to my husband, I think I'm going to go back to school. And he was, these people were onto something. <laughs> yeah. I was just like, did that really come out of my mouth? Like that sounds like work. I never wanted to work. Like I had to go to continuing. I still have to go to continuing. I had to keep my dental hygiene license. That was enough pain. Right. Yeah. But I'm like, Oh yeah. So I really felt the urge to go back to school. And I enrolled in college after 30 years to go back to school for drug and alcohol counseling. And so actually the pandemic, another beautiful thing about the pandemic in my world was that I could sit right where I'm sitting here talking to you and go to college. Mm. I don't have to go drive down to campus and sit in a classroom with kids, my daughter's age, you know, I can just do it right here in my pajamas. If I wish from my dining room table, which I did. So I am pursuing a degree in drug and alcohol counseling and well, it's a dual degree and human services. Hmm. Um, and that's too, I've learned so much, um, about the whole science part of addiction and psychology and abnormal. It's just been amazing. And, and so interesting to me, I've just eaten it up, but, um, um, I did a project, um, for my drug and alcohol counseling class on middle-aged women and alcoholism. I could choose the topic. And that's one that really, of course, hit home for me because it is such an epidemic and women problem drinking has risen 40%, 40% among my age group since 2010. Those those are frightening stats. Four zero people, four zero. Four zero. Like it's, it's so crazy. Like the number one reason that women myself end up going to the ER. Did you know this is alcohol related prop, like Mm. falls, crashing cars, falling medical conditions, all caused by drinking. That to me is mind boggling. The other thing is, um, in uh, women, women are the ones that buy eight out of 10 bottles of wine in our country. Every eight out of 10 bottles of wine sold are to a woman. Okay. That's frightening. And, um, you know, three, three drinks a week, which is five ounces. I don't know whoever drank a five ounce drink because it surely wasn't me. Mm -hmm. Um, per week, your chances of breast cancer go up 15% and 15% of all, all breast cancer, all breast cancers. I think there's 20 some different kinds of breast cancers. Um, you know, are, are alcohol related 15% of all breast cancers are alcohol related. So if that's not enough alone, you know, to put down a drink for God's sakes, you know, that's your, this is your life. Like this is life, a preventable, a preventable thing. I mean, something you're doing every day. And, and I don't know, just if you, I mean, you probably do know because you're, you're all over (laughs) everything like I am, but just this week, 
the, is it the, it's either the world health federation or the world health organization. I think it was last Sunday came out saying that no alcohol is safe. Yeah. No alcohol, no amount, no amount of alcohol. We're so sorry. We used to say you could have a little bit, but now breaking news, breaking news. (laughs) And it's been an article in CNN this week. And it's just kind of like, you know, it, I, I, I don't know. It's all, it is all coming to a head and I'm glad that I am here to be part of it and be part of reducing mm-hmm. the stigma. Like what I was doing, what you were doing, it was not a moral failure. It was anything but a moral failure. Right. Yeah. So, I mean, it's not that we chose to do that. No. Right. We you weren't know? rebels. Like we were doing what everybody else was doing. <laughs> doing what everybody else was doing. So, oh, well, and it's just, I, I, I'm sitting here just smiling because the, the most beautiful thing about a lot of these stories is just being able to learn what women are doing, not just women, but people in sobriety are doing to give back because we become so passionate about this new life that we've created, this new world around us. And when you feel good, you want others to feel good. And so to hear that you went back to school, that you changed your diet, you were still working out, but new workouts. I mean, you took it and you ran, you know, and it's beautiful. Um, I also, um, and, and the other thing I've, I've really felt that is the epitome of my soul is me giving away what was so freely given to me, my sobriety to others. When I help others, I get to keep my sobriety by Mm -hmm. giving it away. I get to keep it. I get to keep it every time I, you know, talk to somebody or, I mean, it's just, it just solidifies all my reasons to stay Mm -hmm. sober and to be sober and enjoy this way of living. Like this living is such a beautiful, a beautiful thing. Yeah. Um, Well, I appreciate you. You did the whole shift to the focus on the good without me even having to, to bridge us over that direction. You knew it was coming. Um, so wait, can I, oh yeah, yeah. of course. So, you know, so after like you stop, I don't know if this was with you, but with me, after I put down the drink and I didn't get all that, you know, that sweet, the sugar rush, the sweet, all that, my, I could not, when I, and I went plant-based, I could not find a plant-based dessert that satisfied my, you know, like I'm, I'm like, yeah, I'm not going to make brownies out of avocados. or black <laughs> beans, Right. I was right. just like, I tried it all and I'm like, nope, this doesn't do it. Nope. This doesn't do it. So I actually, um, started a plant-based brownie business. What? And, Yes. So I have a plant-based brownie business. It's called Molly's kitchen. And it's the reason it's called Molly's kitchen is because I have a rescue dog that was extremely malnourished when I got her and she's a little food obsessed. So she's in the kitchen a lot. So when I asked my husband, like, what should I call this? Um, he's like, Oh, Molly's kitchen. And I'm like, yeah. So anyway, so I started, like, I didn't make them at first to go into business, I started giving them to my friends and, you know, Hey, try this, blah, blah, blah. And everybody was like, Oh my God. Oh my God. These are so good. Oh my God. You guys, <laughs> you guys sell these. Oh my God. So I actually, um, 
I actually, I, 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 these paths that come in front of me are crazy. And I truly believe too, that if I get out of my own way Mm -hmm. and I just look for these signs, or if I'm patient and I give up control, which obviously is so freaking hard to do. Everybody has a, you know, hard time. I feel like giving up some kind of control, but when I get out of my own way, all these paths have opened up. Mm -hmm. And so a friend of mine, you know, randomly was like, did you know they're having kind of like, they're having a local shark tank. And I was like, no. And it was like a local grocery store chain, but it's part of a national chain. It's part of the ShopRite chain. And they were having a, like a, a shark tank basically. So I submitted a video that I made myself and after 27 takes and, (laughs) (laughs) and I was made the finals. So I had to go before four judges and I basically, you know, told my story and I was, I was, um, I was honest about it. I said, you know, when I, when I, I got sober and I, you know, was doing different things and I just kind of stumbled upon this. And do you know that two out of the four of these judges have, they were either, they're either in recovery themselves or they have it really close to them in their lives. Mm -hmm. So, um, I actually got picked up by the oldest bakery in Delaware and my brown. So, so they, they have gluten all over their, their bakery. So they're unable to bake gluten-free, but mine are plant-based organic, organic, vegan, they're gluten-free diabetics can eat them. There's no sugar, eggs, oil, or flowers. I'm not promoting them at all. I really am not, but, um, you know, I'm just saying like what happened. And so now, you know, they're in a display in this bakery. I, I do it on the side. It's a hobby. Um, yeah, it's just been insane. Right. I mean, and I, I'll send you some, okay, and I, okay. used, this is me. I used to say the only reason I have a kitchen is because it came with the house. No <laughs> lie. No lie. Okay. That used to be me. And now it's like, Oh my God, like I enjoy this too. This is like, who am I? Like, who am I? And so um, yeah. So, yep. Yep. That's good. And then I've also started golfing random. Look at this. We have all these other activities and hobbies and businesses. It's amazing. It's crazy. And none of that would have been an option or even on your radar, would it? Oh, I truly believe that I probably, I, I truly believe that alcoholism is the slowest form of suicide Mm. and I was slowly killing myself, you know? So as sad as that is and whatever, it's the truth. Yeah. It's the truth. And now look at you. I love it. I'm very much alive. (laughs) Do you ever get stressed out? Like you don't have enough time to do all your hobbies now? Um, the thing I, the thing, I don't get stressed out about it, but I'm bad at time management. I'm a squirrel. I'm a total squirrel. Like, you know, I'm just here or there. Like I really have to, to focus. Yeah. And there's always other things that I want to start and try too, which is crazy. Like I just ordered a custom paint by numbers that of my parents that I think I'm going to get done by the end of May for their 68th (laughs) wedding anniversary. Like, I don't know might happen, might not, but I'm going to have it set up in my house. And if it's there, I'm going to do it. It's so good. And I mean, back to what you were saying, where it's like, we, we always are like, Oh, sobriety, that's going to be so 
boring. Like Ugh. people are going to think I'm not fun. Like, I know, right? Right? What in the world? Like, I, it is anything but boring. I mean, it's I think it is boring. just my personality was so, um, so my personality was just so under, I was drowned out. I wasn't myself. I wasn't who I am now. I've like, like I first started like coming around, like really like, oh, wow, this is fun. Oh, wow. This is fun. Like things that, you know, I used to think wouldn't be fun. I would never try. Like, I'm like, oh, I'll, okay. I'll try that. I'll do that because I don't know what's what I'm going to like. And if I try it and I don't like it, then fine, move on. Yeah. But, but now my personality is back and I have way more fun. Like mm-hmm. the last couple of years of drinking, that wasn't fun. No. I, never had, I never had any fun. It was always ended up in some episode or something. And, you know, and now it's like, I'm so self-confident and I can go, I can go where any, you know, I've been, I've been out to a bar with a friend of mine and I, that it doesn't even phase me anymore. Mm-hmm. All I do is when I look at people over consuming, I mean, I, I mean, there's total normal drinkers out there and that's great. Right. Mm-hmm. I, I'm just not one of them. Um, but when I see it, people like <laughs> I went to a wedding, a big family wedding in like October. And I just looked, I looked around at the room at the end of the the evening and thought, I'm going to feel amazing tomorrow. I have <laughs> no idea what these people are going to be feeling, but and that's, that's how I feel too. Like I'm never, there's never a layer of like judgment when I see other people, right. but it's a um, reminder of, I'm glad I'm where I'm at. I'm yeah. glad I get to wake so, up and I've made my shift because oh, yeah. I mean, completely honest, that was me, you know, like, Oh, that was me. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I had to be the life of the party. So, okay. I've got two more questions on my list for you, my friend. So looking forward, what will this new chapter of your life enable you to do? So that could be Hmm. when you're wrapping up with school, um, what you want to do with that? Like what is exciting that is ahead of you? Well, I think on my radar is being an intake person at a treatment center, either volunteering or, you know, I didn't, obviously I didn't go into this field or go into starting to study this field for the money, you know? So that's, that's not, money is not important to me anymore. Um, so, and I, I actually would like to start writing. Mm. So exciting. We'll say, yeah, I don't really know. That's and why that's like, the beauty of it. And that's why I'm not going to say, because I'm not going to control it. Yeah. It's, whatever's going to happen is going to happen. Wow, so what a good a- reminder, just being open to it, you know? Yep. I yeah. love it. All right. So last but not least to the people that are listening right now and feeling inspired to make a change, what advice can you give them? And I do want to say one of the best things that I took away from what you shared already is kind of creating your own variety pack of sober tools. I like that you pointed that out because if you go to AA and it doesn't feel right, that's okay. But you might pull something from there or some piece and take it and roll with it and then find something else. So I do love that you pointed that out, but is there any other advice or anything you wanted to share? Just 
just keep an open mind. Mm -hmm. And you know, if, if you think, oh, hey, hey, like it's so scary or whatever. Well, how do you know, you know, you might go in there and meet your next best friend. Yeah. I, I think just like keeping an open mind and also like keeping in touch with what is out there, mm-hmm. you know, and, and support and actually, you know, we can, like I said, it's strength in numbers. I couldn't do this by myself. I am not here sitting in front of you without a drink in me for over two years doing this on my own at mm-hmm. all, at all. I've had help every step of the way and building a community or finding your community and just like, yeah, again, pick out the pieces of things that you like mm-hmm. and you use them for what serves you. Mm-hmm. And if it doesn't serve you, get rid of it. Yeah. And not only the pieces, but the people, you know, the if there's someone that is in your life that is not being supportive of what you're doing, spend See, so much time with them, <laughs> you know, like that's the truth. you don't have your circle, you make your circle. And if you can't you make, find you them, yeah, there are resources. And also like resentments aren't resentments I can't have in my life because I know that's one of the number one things that can take me back to a drink. Mm-hmm. And I'm not going to live that way anymore. I'm not going to live judging. I'm not, I, I'm just going to, you know, I don't want to get to that point where somebody's going to cause me to pick up a drink. First of all, that's not going to happen. You know? So no, someone once told me if you, if there's someone that's triggering to you, if you drink, they win. Oh, and exactly. that forever stuck with me. I'm like, oh, well, I'm not competitive at all. Like they can't win. <laughs> I know that's me too. Yeah. And the other thing is like, you know, I have a day counter on my phone for, I don't know. I'm at like, I don't know, 810 days, but mm-hmm. do you think I'm ever going to let that go back to zero? No. Are you freaking kidding me? I live by these rings on my Apple watch. I am such a competitor. I'm not breaking any chains. There's no way I've worked too hard to get myself where I am in a lot of parts of my life. I would never think of going, you know, I, I, I couldn't, I, I just no. couldn't. And um, I don't think I have a day one in me again. Uh, I don't either. Yeah. Nope. That's I've heard. I've heard people say that too. Like I might have another I might not have another bender in me, but I don't have another recovery. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, yeah, there you go. Scary. Um, Wendy, this was so fun and I am so glad I got to get to know you. Um, if people want to send you a message or anything, are you open to that? Like if they reach out or that, so (laughs) I have to admit that after listening to podcasts (laughs) and after listening to your podcast, um, I have to say that I created my own sewer Instagram account. This Yay. Week. Yeah, I think I have two followers, but. Hey, I'll follow you. But if you want to get in touch with me or or anything, like I said, I am an open book, number one. I, I am like, I do have a lot of um, knowledge in different resources or where to direct people. I'm not saying that I, you know, if I can't find an answer for you, I'm going to find someone that can help you or direct you to where I think you could get what you need. And it is Sober Squirrel Squad is my Instagram. Well, I'm going to put that in the show notes so that people can follow you and find out about all the amazing things you are doing and are going to do. And 
thank you just so much for taking your time and sharing everything. You know what? Thank you so much. I feel like I talked way too much. I (laughs) I could literally sit here and talk to you all day. I feel like I've known you forever. You're just, you're just very welcoming. And I really appreciate, I really, really appreciate it. I'm grateful. I'm so grateful and blessed. Well, the feeling is mutual. So thank you, Wendy. And I hope you just have the best day. Yeah, you too. If you'd like to learn more about the show or make a donation, you can head over to decidedlydry.com. If you enjoy the show, the best way to support it is to subscribe and to leave an awesome rating or review over on Apple Podcasts. It's sure been a treat spending this time with you. And just remember, if the only thing you did today was stay sober, you are winning. I'll see you next time.